Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr. and today I'm pleased to be joined by Carla Leon. Carla is a graduate of the University of British Columbia where she got a MBA and she firmly believes that churches are the backbone of the neighborhood and the social innovation ecosystem. After getting that MBA, she launched a social enterprise in 2009, hiring marginalized people and is the co-founder of an e-learning organization that has helped over 100,000 small business owners. She currently works as a consultant for the United Church of Canada, having launched their innovation grant program and numerous other initiatives, including the Social Innovation Challenge, a mentoring network, and a savings platform for churches. She's always interested in how to help the nonprofit and charitable sector be more collaborative and the integral role of church. So let's welcome Carla to the show. Uh, thanks for being here. Anything else you'd like uh, our listeners to know about yourself? I just I think it's so funny how much Canada it is. As soon as I speak to uh, Americans, I realize how Canadian I really am. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, <clears throat> talk about your uh, talk about your journey of faith. What uh, being a Christian has looked like in your early on, and, and what it looks like today. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm kind of one of those people that uh, I, I'm exactly what people say, uh, at least in Canada, about people's journeys. Uh, really, I was confirmed and uh, I grew up United Church of Canada and I remember singing my songs in Sunday school and then uh, the confirmation process, uh, like big and difficult questions. And then I went to university and I stopped going to church. So that's pretty, I think that that's a very common thing. And so at 18, basically, there's this big cliff. Yeah. And then what ended up happening is that um, when I was 28 years old, it was 2008, and uh, I had just moved home uh, from overseas. I was actually, I got my MBA in China. And when I came home, I had always wanted to start my own company. And uh, I, I was worried about doing it, but I actually got it off the ground, helping small businesses get off the ground. Ironically, I was a small business helping other small businesses. And um, I had a lot of weight on my shoulders. Uh, I grew very quickly from zero to 12 employees in less than a year. And uh, many of my employees were uh, actually uh, disabled. Um, and so, and also in rural context. So there were, um, they had barriers to employment, uh, typically. And I did that because deep relationships, really caring about my employees, um, and uh, really also the loyalty of them. It was just like they stayed with me for a long time and it was very mutually beneficial. Um, I was able to pay uh, above a living wage. I was paying $25 an hour plus commissions on it, um, which was unheard of for people in rural, right? Um, at that time, 2008. Yeah, I take that, I take that right now. And so there was a lot of weight. <laughs> so all this weight on me and 
so it actually brought me back to church. I needed the peace. I needed uh, the sanctuary. I needed the time for reflection to really prepare myself for the week ahead and the weight of having, you know, 12 families that I was supporting um, from overnight. Like it really felt like I, I had grown from zero to 12 very, very quickly. So that brought me back to church. And the best part was, is that uh, the United Church of Canada was looking for uh, someone to help them with their communications and to think differently and starting up new initiatives. And they Googled me. And I came up as number one for small business uh, marketing. So I'd already been going back to church and then to literally get called. <laughs> if you want to have a call story, that's mine. That's awesome. Can I ask, what was it specifically kind of about church um, that really resonated with you when you went back? Like, what, what did you find there that was missing in your life? Uh, it was time the time and the space to reflect upon, I would say, mostly what I had done wrong that week, right? What I could do better, um, how I might have harmed other people, which also harms myself. Um, and so it was just asking for forgiveness um, and giving yourself the time to realize that things that I had done, um, I could do better. Um, and then to continue to repair relationships and grow them. And I think that helped me with my, my staff, with my customers, to go deeper in relationship with them. Um, I grew from zero to 50 customers pretty quickly, and they stayed with me. And, and my employees, a typical, it was really a telemarketing firm I was running, typically employees only stay with you for about two months. Two months is like your average for a call center. Um, I have my average uh, popped up to two years. Wow. So, right. And so how are you able to see yourself as an authentic person and see God in each other and treat each other in that relational way that um, it, it's, it's changed how, how I treat other people and how I treat myself. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, many years ago, I worked in a call center for a, a, a bank, and the turnover was quite a lot. I mean, even I think I worked in the call center like two years, and even then I changed position like three times. Um, it was it was hard work. Um, yeah, I'm also thinking about your – I saw this on Twitter recently this week, I think, about how uh, in America – evangelical churches don't have a space for confession and the kind of self-reflection. And it's so interesting that you share that story there about how that was meaningful and impactful for you in your, your spiritual faith and your life to have the opportunity to reflect. Um, pretty cool. Pretty cool. What has been a spiritual practice that you would recommend others or has been meaningful for you? Um, probably the biggest thing for me is just space um, and, and breath. I think that that to me, it seems such a small thing, but it's been really meaningful for me right now. I'm especially with uh, COVID and, and really going out, outdoors and the walks and just being able to be present in the moment. Um, that's been really big for me. Um, I'm living at this point. Uh, I'm 
I am very blessed to have a cabin. So I've been at my cabin now and just uh, being able to understand like this is, this is like this time is time to reflect more um, and just being able to breathe a little bit different, like to breathe differently. And everything is sacred. I think when you start thinking where everything is sacred, it's uh, really quite interesting. Um, I guess my last one that is, was actually named to me this morning before we chatted <laughs> is curiosity as a spiritual practice. And that to me has, it's, it's lovely, right? It just kind of is inspiring all by itself. And I was reminded this morning in this conversation that curiosity as a spiritual practice, well, it reinforces that curiosity doesn't stop actually being curious about something and then being closed-minded afterwards is not being curious. <laughs> so curious, uh, curiosity the spiritual practice means that like you keep on continuing to be okay with being wrong, okay to change yourself, to be transformed, okay to be vulnerable. And um, so to me, that's something that that language now is starting to really settle on me of um, of how hopeful that can be and uh, how that's going to help me grow even further now. Interesting. Uh, this is a silly question. Curious, does that have a U in it? I'm trying to write it down. Curious and I can't. C-U-R. Curiosity does. Curiosity, does that have a U in it? Yeah, C-U-R-I-O-U-S-I-T-Y. Hopefully that's not the Canadian spelling. I don't know. <laughs> No, I for some reason I thought there was a U in the, a U in there, but I'm gonna bra I'm gonna blame that one. I just got my second COVID vaccine for our listeners this morning, so I'm gonna I'm gonna blame my uh, any mental fatigue and slowness on that. Um, <laughs> let's take a break, quick break, and we'll jump into our uh, main section. All right, we're back with Carla Leon and. Uh, Carla, like we talked about in her bio, does a lot of work in social enterprise. And I got a chance to meet her uh, through a couple different conferences or something that I went to and she was at and talked some more with her kind of on the side of really was fascinated with kind of the work that's happening in Canada and that what she's a part of. Um, so I want to start off with when we talked, you talked about this box book and preacher model. So for our listeners, kind of explain what that is and, and talk through that a little bit. Okay, yeah, box, book, and preacher. So the box is the pulpit, uh, the book is the Bible, and the preacher, well, that's our spiritual leader at the front. And uh, that has been a model that uh, church has been revolving around for about a thousand years, but really the last 500 years, that's been the model. And we can even narrow it further and say it's 1030 on Sunday. Like, it's very, very specific. <laughs> um, and so we've actually designed that this is what religion, what spiritual practice looks like, is that. Um, but I think that, that this is the time to be tested. And we know that like, Christianity every 500 years has a giant upheaval. And guess what? We're at that marker right now. So is that actually the way of your journey? Probably not moving forward. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's such an interesting to think about um, how uh, how commonplace that has become equated with Christianity is that box box book preacher model is kind of equated with that's what it means to be a Christian is to to go to a box 
um, to listen to a preacher and to to read from a book, in this case, the Bible. Now, obviously, some folks uh, might feel strongly about that book, but that's another conversation. Um, but Something interesting we talked about earlier um, in our in our previous conversation, and you you said to me that only a few spiritual practices happen on a Sunday, yet there are thousands. So first, uh, I guess talk through some of those spiritual practices just to kind of help our listeners think about things in that kind of context, and then talk more about you know uh, moving beyond the the walls and the Sunday morning spiritual practices. Right. So um, spiritual practices on Sunday morning, um, if we think about it, we go in um, and there's typically a candle is lit. Candle lighting and candles are actually spiritual practice by themselves. So that's one. Um, Scripture reading is two. Um, Prayer is three. (laughs) Reflection is four. (laughs) Um, And... Like maybe there's a fifth or a sixth in there singing. Singing is five. There you go. Um, and and then it, it kind of stops. And yet there's so many other spiritual practices that help us grow. So like obviously I'm I'm gonna do things that are really adjacent to what we understand and know. Um, what about beyond scripture? What about poems? Right. Uh, beyond that, other reflections. Uh, when we go beyond that, what about spoken word? What about rap? Right? So all of a sudden, I just took one thing that we're very comfortable with and started to stretch us somewhere else. Right? And so someone else's spiritual practice that's their preference actually might be rap. It doesn't make it wrong. It makes it different. Right? So we just stretch that. Let's go with singing, right? So music, let's listen to hymns. Well, what about jazz vespers, right? Again, we could go spoken word or proper rap. And then what about just playing drums? Uh, we actually have one of our ministries is a rock band ministry where they actually teach like how to be in a rock band together. Like how, okay. So we just went like really far again. Um, let's start with prayer. Well, Prayer is great because <laughs> we're asking for things, right? What about meditation? We're we're listening. To things. So now that's like that's the opposite opposite side of the same coin. We're not just asking. We should also be listening and discerning, right? Now you go from that. Uh, so then you have silence, which is very much a Quaker, <laughs> right? Then you can actually go from there and say, what about yoga, right? What about other forms of breathing and i said when you asked me my own i said well breathing and like how and smelling right and then walking and noticing your breath so now all of a sudden you have all these different ways of listening and reflecting beyond just prayer so we can keep going i mean there's running there's cycling um there's kayaking um there's looking at someone in the eyes and really seeing them man that's good that's good I'm hopefully going to go for a a cycle a ride this uh, after we're done here if it's be a little a little chilly but I, I'm curious um, I'm curious you know I think in many ways um, folks wouldn't necessarily attach like spirituality to playing in a rock band or some folks might even not like think about running or cycling or um, guard maybe gardening you know as 
as a spiritual practice. So is part of this, uh, whatever kind of the, I don't know what word you might use for spiritual guide maybe, is part of that just uh, teaching people to be intentional um, about their practices and recognizing how they can, how can they participate in these practices to grow themselves and their connection with God? Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think intentionality um, it, It's actually looking around. Um, I would actually pose the question, what is sacred? And so is the sanctuary sacred? Is the forest sacred? <laughs> um, I, I've had great conversations with other um, with other uh, people throughout North America, actually, who is sex sacred? <laughs> so how far can you actually go? Like, what isn't sacred? Like, isn't everything creation? Like, wh where did we decide? But it was us who've decided that this is what's sacred. But like, for God, isn't everything? isn't everything and so if we're thinking about it and just the joy in it and the love that's around us in it how can you say that things aren't sacred and it's just we're not actually looking at it that way we've put blinders on here's what i would say it's not thinking outside of the box it's actually even understanding there is a box and how many of us don't even know the box we're in interesting interesting yeah yeah that's good um I'm I'm preaching what you're saying about kind of redefining the sacred because I don't know how long that's been. I don't know if that's a if that's a function of modernism, so to speak, uh, of the 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 delineation between the sacred and the secular. But I appreciate what you're saying about there is no there's no bifurcation or either or. It's all it's all sacred. Yeah, and and how life giving is it when you actually can be your full self, your holistic self. And so really what we're talking about is your mind, body, soul, like we've basically broken everything. Um, and this is the big coming together again right now. Like it's not okay to actually act one way and like not actually believe that. That's, that's not okay anymore. And so we just need the confidence as people of faith to be okay with our faith and to actually understand that it's part of our whole self and that just like the walls of church that are around us, we've put up walls between our various parts of our lives and it's actually, it's killing us. It's, being holistic is actually more life-giving when you can be your authentic self all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's really hard to, that's a great point. I'm. I mentioned I'm struggling with spelling today, so I wrote holistic with a WH, yeah, but that kind of fits. Like you're talking about being your whole self, uh, so holistic in that way. Uh, that's a new word I'm going to start using. <laughs> cool. It was playing yours first. Maybe you can take it to the dragon's den. <laughs> <laughs> um, something Sorry, else. That's okay. Uh, something else you've said, uh, you you in our conversations earlier, you you said at least if I remember correctly, you talked about social enterprise, uh, and and broadly speaking, I should have introduced this better. But we're talking about social enterprise in the church, uh, social enterprise as a religion, or a new religion for millennials. Uh, so talk through that a little bit more if you could. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, it's definitely a springboard off of uh, the spiritual practices and what is sacred. And for millennials and for the Z Gen, um, so the Z Gen being 1998 and younger, um, uh, or yeah, so it's like the 2000s, basically babies. Um, they they feel as though social enterprise is actually living out their spirituality outside of Sunday. So they're actually dissatisfied with only 10.30 on Sunday. They actually want their entire lives to be purpose-filled and meaning-making, not just that one moment. So living out their faith is probably the way of saying it. Um, and, and it's a challenge, I think, because traditionally we're still in those five spiritual practices on Sunday morning, as opposed to understanding that like there's, there's more out there and maybe we need to... I guess the, the interesting way of saying this is how can we actually say that these other things aren't spiritual practices and aren't worthy if we're not trying them? I mean, we always think everyone should come to Sunday with us, come to our building, follow our spiritual practices, join in, but then like that's them taking a leap of faith, but we're not willing to take the leap of faith and, and expose ourselves the other way. Yeah, that's a good point because that's kind of the that's kind of the growth model of so many churches is try us out for three weeks, and if you don't like us, you know, they think they think basically they think you know you know they'll they'll win you over in three weeks, and you're saying, hey, if it's fair one way, it's it's gonna be fair the other way, and um, kind of to this point, you have said that you see social enterprise and you're kind of defining it here as spiritual, not just, not just as a nice, not just as a nice thing to do or a, or a new way of looking at business, but you're looking at it as spiritual and you talk, you've, you said something about the call in, in this, as I understand in the most kind of Christian or spiritual sense of the word of people being called to social enterprise, or as you call it, I may not want to, May I should have you say this word, but spiritual enterprise. Yeah, spiritual entrepreneurship. Yeah, so this whole idea of social enterprise, uh, social entrepreneurs, I mean, that's language everyone's really excited about and everyone can gravitate to. Um, but every single person that I speak to who is a social entrepreneur, they actually have a deeper reason why they're doing it. And I think the argument is, is that social and enterprise is much more difficult than just same old for-profit business because you have more stakeholders. It's not just shareholders, you have stakeholders. Like you care about everything differently. It's not just finance, it's social finance and all the complexities that come with it. It's, um, yeah, so there's all these extra pieces that you have to take into account. So there's no way that someone would do all of that if there wasn't something deeper and rooted in it. And so, when I spoke to, there's many social enterprise um, offerings with universities and colleges these days. They have MBAs for social enterprise and things like that. And when I speak with them, with the, the people who are working at, at these institutions, I've asked, I'm like, so you're social entrepreneurs. How many of them are spiritual? And without blinking an eye, these institutions can tell you, the professors will say, yeah, at least 90%. That's without even asking. That's knowing right away that they're actually at 90%. They can say that off the cuff. So that leads me to believe it's actually 100%. And so my argument is there's no such thing as a social entrepreneur because it's far too hard. No one would do it. So it has to have a deeper meaning. They have to be 
to it. That's such a good point because you talk about, you know, the word multiple, or you didn't use this word, but multiple mo- multiple bottom lines, you know, because in a, an SE, you're probably dealing with like um, people, what is it? People, profit, planet, and then, you know, there's also some holistic or spiritual components. So it's like four bottom lines at minimum. And that's a lot when you're kind of trying to compete against somebody who's just out there to make a buck. So there's going to be some kind of, some kind of higher calling, right? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, and I mean, the great news about this is when you asked me about like, why did I go back to church and why, like, what was, what was the benefit to me? Like what did, and I said, it came down to relationships and seeing each other as holistic people, as like humans and seeing God's children. Um, So what social or spiritual, sorry, spiritual entrepreneurs have is putting people first and putting relationships as the core. I mean, no for-profit business can compete against someone who actually has deep, authentic relationships and acts out through their lives, through their faith as authentic selves. Guess what? There's no competing against that. I love it. Um, so I'm hearing some things and I want to, I want to go a little off script here because what a lot of what I like to talk about is thinking about future of the church and how churches can grow and, and adapt in this changing climate. And I'm thinking like, is, is the church, and if we use the term, is the box, the church is a box. If we use that metaphor, um, and maybe more broadly speaking, understanding of a church of the group of people but as as an institution i guess do you see a, a future in which the church needs to exist obviously less to be just about that 10:30 sunday morning experience and more so about i don't know if the hub is the right word but some kind of incubator for these kind of things yeah i mean the church is going to exist it's just not going to look the way that we think it should. So it's like that box thing where we don't even know we're in the box right now. So I'll even argue so far, that like the church is growing right now. We just can't see it. How many new social enterprises, haha, social enterprise, spiritual enterprises just got created last year? How many existing for-profit businesses have decided that it actually matters to have a triple bottom line? And maybe they just haven't named the quadruple bottom line. They just don't have that language yet because we haven't given that to them because we haven't seen it as church. And in terms of scripture, if we're going to go back there, well, guess what? This week is the road to Emmaus. Easter just happened. The disciples cannot recognize Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Is the same thing happening right now? Can we not see that these are churches. And so our own definition of church, we can't believe that Jesus has arisen. We didn't think it's possible because he died. And our definition around death does not include coming back to life. Just like our definition of church is not allowing us to see that social enterprises are the new version of church. I love it. I love it. Um, First of all, I was, it is, we're recording this a week after Easter and my spiritual director reminded me of that walk to Emmaus story and encouraged me to kind of have that own kind of hopefulness in my own life. 
Um, but I, I was going to ask you this question, so I'm kind of glad you're, you're, uh, you spoke to it, but I was going to ask you about ecclesiology. And in many ways, I think this is re, like, it's a reimagining of what it means to be church. That's what you're saying, right? Well, it's happening anyway. It's just happening from the edges. Like it, it's, and, and so where the power center and the institutions, yeah, we might not be getting it, right? But the fringes, the edges, it's happening already. And so to say, oh, is there a future of church? The church is going to be alive and well. Spiritual journeys and mysticism has never been as strong as it is right now. Everyone's been sitting at home for a year, given time to reflect upon their meaning of life and who they want to be and what's possible now. And all the, like, <laughs> and confession. Like, that is happening right now. Like, if there's any time for the church, right, it is right now. Just because we don't know we're on the road to Emmaus doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's going to happen with or without the existing structures that we have. Yeah. Let me ask this then, and it's a bit of a selfish question as, as someone who's uh, devoted a lot of my life towards ministry training and higher education. What do you see as the role of uh, a pastor? Like, do we need to, do we need to change the term? Do we need to um, train and equip differently, like to more of like a business coach slash spiritual director? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Or do we need to get rid of entirely? <laughs> No, um, I think that this, this is the gift that we can give to our nations and to the world. I think that we have highly trained, compassionate, um, like beautiful souls rooted in neighborhoods who can actually be this connection force. Basically, facilitation guides, being able to uh, ensure that dignity is provided in social justice, to be the voice of the voiceless, or or to actually, even better, not be the voice of the voiceless and help them have their voice. Um, and so, like, we're community animators. Imagine if all of the various networks are actually being woven by ministers. Like, imagine if our, our role was actually to be the connection fa fabric of our neighborhoods and to, to bring that quadruple bottom line to discussions. Like, instead of just being, like, why, why is 90% of our communication with individuals inside our building? 90% of our communication. Then we have maybe 10% of our communication are to the partners who are renting our building. The only communication to external individuals and external organizations is probably fundraising and inviting them to our steak dinners or our pie dinners or, or whatever our fundraising is. Literally, if I wasn't showing up on Sunday and wasn't part of the 90% where all of the conversation is having, I'd walk by most communities of faith and assume that all they do is fundraise with dinners. I mean, it's not wrong, and, you know, it's maybe speaks to why so many people think of churches just, you know, hungry for money, because that's all they're hearing is requests for money. Um, so it's our, it's our own downward spiral. We've created our own narrative that's a downward spiral. 
So how do we change it to an upward spiral? Right? What's possible? What's together? Again, that authentic self. So I said that on an individual level, but as a community of faith, how are we being authentic in our neighborhoods? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just love listening to you talk. And generally speaking, uh, I love listening to passionate people. And, and just for our listeners, like, listen to Carla's, the passion she speaks with this. And I think that's just, it's, your passion is self-evident of this fact that, uh, Social enterprise is a spiritual endeavor, like just the passion with which you speak about it. Um, let's take a break real quick, and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Carla Leon. And uh, Carla, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, if you're Pope for a day, um, what does that day look like? I mean, you can redefine what Pope means, you know, freedom to answer according to your imagination here. Hallelujah. Female leadership. <laughs> um, so that was my first response to that. Um, I think Pope for a day, it would just be to like look each other in the eyes as God's children and understanding that actually the end result, like the outcome does not like the ends does not justify the means and the work is to be in relationship with each other. I want to ask a question here work. and I'm going a little bit off script here. Is it fair to say is the outcomes less important than the process? Right. It, and the, pro the process is to be in relationship with each other. Right, to really listen, to ensure that all voices matter, are heard, um, to make sure that um, it, it is two-way, it is three-way. Like all these conversations are happening and we're actively listening and, and that we allow the conversations to change ourselves. So even when we're talking about partnerships, oftentimes we say, well, well we can't be partners with them because of this. Well, if we're not in conversations with them, change doesn't happen. And if we're not willing to be changed ourselves, like we expect others to. Very, yeah, yeah. It's so it's such good stuff here. Um, talk about a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. This one's really tough. <laughs> Which one? Um, I'd probably say Mary Magdalene. I mean, um, it's just, okay. <laughs> Like, I think because she believed and she saw and she was the one to actually know that it was him. And I think if she was here right now, she she would actually say something like, open up your eyes, people. Like, he has risen. And you won't believe me, but like, he has. And I think, um, yeah, no, I just, how much courage and bravery especially with her position that would have taken. And I think to do spiritual entrepreneurship, to do this work, to reimagine what church can be, it takes that kind of bravery. Love it. Um, talk about what you think history will remember from our current time and place. Well, I think it depends on what we do and how we see this. Um, but this is the time. Like I would say, this is probably, if you think about all history or even future, 
this is actually the moment where everything that we do is going to matter. I, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I was at, someone said to me, it's 70 years to change anything when it comes to culture, like in society, which basically says to me that like people have to die out for the culture to change, which is kind of sad. Um, like that's what it takes, it basically is the next, um, so that made me disappointed because I was like, okay, so I can't affect change. I can't, I'm not part of this. It's like, it's not, it doesn't matter how much I try. It doesn't actually matter. But then I was at another talk where they said, basically in the next 12 years, if we don't make a difference, climate change is going to take a role in itself. And, and so I took those two stories of this sense of lack of hope and grief that I, I didn't matter in my actions. And then to counterpoint that to now is the time I'm realizing with COVID, like, if we lose these community spaces, if we actually, uh, this is the time that we have so much abundance that we have nothing to lose except for ensure that it's actually pivoted towards what the future needs. If we can actually let go of control right now and actually future cast of what's needed and ensure our abundance today is directed in that way. I mean, this is actually, trillions of dollars of assets, trillions of dollars of volunteer time and passion and knowledge to actually be rallied into this future casting. Like if it's not now, it's never. Because guess what? 20% of communities of faith are expected to close due to COVID. And other numbers are seen higher. So if we're not actually, like if we just like give away this legacy right now without thinking about future casting, this is, probably the most exciting time, but we have to understand that there's a box that we've been living in with paradigms that we make all our decisions and that they're wrong. We are on the road to Emmaus. And if you think like that, how do you treat this legacy and these decisions now differently? And that will be an amazing future that we have. Our decisions now have ripple effects for the next at least seven generations, if not further. Wow. Wow. That's something to think about. Talk about your hopes. Uh, you've kind of, you kind of hinted at it there, uh, hopes for the future of Christianity. Oh yeah, I guess I kind of did. Um, I think, uh, I think for me, it's that this is the time which I've just spoken about. Um, I think that there's this big, People say I'm spiritual, but not religious. And I would actually like to challenge people who say that they're religious and not spiritual and say like, aren't we all just spiritual? Hmm. And so if mysticism has never, like mysticism is as big today as it ever has been. In fact, it's more so because we have all these scientists. We just found out about dark matter. Like <laughs> dark matter wasn't a thing five years ago. Right, like so, we finally scientifically proved that, and so we're at this amazing place in time where we know all the things we don't know. Like, there's so much that we don't understand, and yet we know so much. And so, how can there not be mysticism right now? How can you not be spiritual? We're at the cusp of like our of knowing what we don't know. Like, that's amazing. Um, so I think we need to embrace that as well as with COVID. This is the time that people are dissatisfied. It's not just the church asking for kingdom today. 
everyone's asking for kingdom. They're just not using our language. They're saying we want a just world. That's kingdom. And so if we can just stop saying kingdom, if we say we want a just world and this is how we live it out with our faith, maybe if we were learning to translate and put our feet, ourselves in their shoes, we could finally have common language that allows us to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been such a good conversation. Uh, Carla has a heart out here that we have to respect. Uh, and I hate it because I want to ask you a bunch more questions, but I appreciate your time. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Um, so uh, EDGE is the innovation arm of the United Church of Canada. So that's at edge-ucc.ca. Uh, but uh, uh, you can also find us at Twitter at edge-ucc and uh, love to continue the conversation. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time and may God's peace be with you. You as well. Thank you for your good work. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is produced by Torn Curtain Arts in partnership with Resonate Media. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit futurechristian.com. If you've enjoyed the show and you think it would be valuable for others to hear, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That really helps more people find us. Thanks again and go in peace.